All right, all right. Go ahead and grab a seat. We're going to get jumped into it. I said jumped. Grab a seat. The echo is a real thing in here. So, all right, Saul Company, what's up, guys? How are we feeling? Hey, go ahead and open up your Bible or your phone to Genesis chapter 41. That's where we're going to be, Genesis chapter 41. It's going to be on the screen behind me, I think. But if it's not, it's not going to be on the screen behind me. We've got 57 verses we got to get through tonight. So get your phones ready. If you don't have the Bible app, download it or use your friends, something like that. Genesis chapter 41. Hey, guys. This week, we, or this week, we're continuing along in our series through Genesis, and we're following the story of this guy named Joseph. And so if you, if you haven't been at Salt Company before, if this is your first time, let me just catch you up to speed. Joseph is a really important figure in the Old Testament, and here's why. Because he comes from a family that God has been making, that he, that he made a promise from generation to generation to generation to. And Joseph is one of the sons of one of those guys that God has made that promise to. And let me just sum up the promise for you. It goes like this. Joseph, your family, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I am someday, through your family line, going to cause blessing to overflow into all the families of the earth. It's a huge promise that, that is made to this family. And so as we follow in the story of Joseph, it's all about is God actually going to be faithful to that promise? Because up to this point, some pretty bad stuff has happened in Joseph's life, right? Not if, if you've been here and you know things are not going well for Joseph. Let's just recap it, okay? First week, he's hated by his brothers. He's the favorite child of 12 brothers. He's hated by his brothers. And so here's what they do. They say, okay, let's, let's just sell him as a slave. Because, I mean, what else should you do when you hate your brother? Let's sell him as a slave and send him to Egypt. And here's what happened when he gets to Egypt. Things start to go actually pretty well for him. He finds himself working for the captain of the guards, a pretty high up guy in the king's uh, palace. But pretty quickly, uh, that guy's wife has the hots for Joseph. And so day after day, she tries to get him to sleep with her. It says day after day after day. till finally... Here's what happens. She literally grabs him, rips his clothes off, and says, sleep with me. And Joseph just bolts. Like, he, he's naked in the streets, running around. So then, this is a true story. So then, his wife realizes she has his cloak, and so... Uh, her, her name's, or I don't even know her name. Her name's Potiphar's wife. Potiphar comes back, and she's like, what's up? And he says, she says, he tried to sleep with me. He tried to rape me. So Joseph gets thrown in prison for something he didn't do. But that's not all that happens to Joseph. So he's already in prison for th something that he didn't do, a crime that he didn't commit. And then there's these two guys, the cupbearer and the chief baker. And we don't know why they're in prison, but they work for Pharaoh. They, they ticked off Pharaoh. And so they've ended up in prison, and they both get disturbed by these two dreams that they have. And, the, and Joseph's like, well, God has the power to interpret dreams. Let me Just tell me what your dreams are. So he interprets their dreams, and one of them is, hey, you're going to get beheaded in three days. Sorry, buddy. That's the baker. The cupbearer, he says, I got some better news for you. Pharaoh's actually going to restore you to, to your position. And when he restores you, hey, please tell Pharaoh, I don't belong in prison. Like, I got wrongfully accused for something that I didn't do, and Pharaoh has the power to get me out. So please, just remember me. 
And if you were here last week, you know that this, the way we concluded the sermon with the last verse in Genesis chapter 40, it says this, that the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. And so Joseph is left in prison all by himself with no one to plead his case. He's as good as dead. It's a pretty grim story up to this point. It kind of feels like, okay, you, you guys have been telling us for weeks that God's in control of all this and that he is orchestrating all these things for his glory and for his purpose and that he's going to preserve a promise to this family. That's a really good thing. He's going to bless them and bless all the nations of the earth through them. But it kind of feels like, God, are you actually in control of this thing? Because things aren't going so well for Joseph up to this point. And we all actually know what it feels like to be in a position like Joseph. We maybe have never been thrown in prison and left there for dead in a pit. But we, we talked about last week, we, want, we know what it's like to be in those places where you feel disoriented, where you feel like, God, where are you? Are you actually in control? Are you actually doing something in my life? Are you truly working? And so what I took away from Stephen's message last week was this, that when we're in those moments... We hold on to a, to a stubborn hope. We refuse to believe, based off of how we feel, that God isn't with us. We choose. We're stubborn about it. We doubt our doubts, and we hold on to the stubborn hope that God is with us through it all, that he's working. And here's what's so cool about tonight's passage. We actually finally start to get to see what God has been doing. We find that some of the puzzle pieces finally start falling into place where we get to see, oh, here's what God has been doing. It seems like he's been taking Joseph on this crazy, wild goose chase or whatever. What's the term? We're just going to go with goose chase, chicken chase, something chase. It feels like he's been taking him on this, but the puzzle pieces start to fall in. And so for the next 30 minutes, let's go through 57 verses together. We're going to fly through it, but I really want you to see what God has for us. Tonight. So if you're there, Genesis 41, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. Now just stop there for a second. How long has he been in prison? <laughs> two years. Just imagine what that must have been like for him. Like, okay, the two guys get out, cupbearer and the baker, and then after a day, Maybe three days pass by. He's thinking, hey, maybe any day now that someone's going to come get me. And then a week passes by, and he hears the, the jailers talking about how the baker got beheaded. So he's like, okay, well, that, that's happened. That part, that must mean that the cupbearer has been restored. So any day now. It's got to be any day. But soon a week turns into a month and then an entire year passes, and you just think, at what point did Joseph have to come to grips with the fact that no one was coming to get him? Like, at what point did he finally have to decide in his heart, the guy forgot me? It would have been a grueling two years to be in, but then something happens. God's in control, and what's it say? It says that Pharaoh, he's the king of Egypt, the guy who's in charge of all of Egypt, he has a dream. So let's keep reading. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile, which is a big river, when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. 
After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those along the bank of the Nile. The sickly cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. It's like he, it's like he had a, a nightmare. He just the, the language is abrupt. He just wakes up. But soon enough, he falls back to sleep. Verse 5, he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. The seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump full ones. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. There it is again. He, he just, he wakes up. He's like, what? This, these dreams startle him. And look at what happens in the morning. Verse 8. When morning came, he was troubled. So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. So Pharaoh has these two dreams, and they're pretty weird dreams. I don't, if, what would you do if someone asked you, I had a dream where there were some healthy cows and some zombie cows, and they ate the healthy cows, and then there was this grain and some zombie grain, and it ate the grain, right? So he's, he's startled. It's weird. It's like he had a nightmare, but he can't, he can't shake it. It's on his mind. What, what, is, what do these mean? They have to mean something. So he gets all of his best people, gathers them in a room, and every single one of them are like, dude, I got no idea. <laughs> I mean, what would you say? It, it makes me think, like, what, was anyone bold enough to just be like, listen, Pharaoh, maybe it was just a dream. Maybe you ate some bad tuna before you went to sleep, and maybe you should stop worrying about it. Like, was anyone bold enough to say that to him? But here's, I just wonder how many people tried to guess what his dream meant. I've had some weird dreams. Why does he think it's such a big deal? But then, who steps onto the scene? Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had a dream on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. Verse 13. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and you can interpret it. A couple things I want you to see here. First, come on, cupbearer. Where the heck have you been? It's like he just, he's like, dreams, man. I wonder what Pharaoh's dream means. I feel like I've had a dream before. Oh, and the, oh yeah, I was in prison. And there was this guy that he could interpret dreams. I, oh, shoot, he, I, what day is it, right? Like, he's like, oh, no, Joseph's going to hate me, man. <laughs> Come on, stupid cupbearer. <laughs> stupid cupbearer. But here's the second thing. Look down in verse 14. It says, then, he, then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, went to Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and no one can interpret it for me. But I've heard it said that you can hear a dream and interpret it. And I want you to see the next verse. This is what Joseph says to Pharaoh. You're wrong. I'm not able to. He's like, Pharaoh, you got it all wrong. Whatever the cupbearer told you, I, I can't do it. I'm just like the rest of your wise men. I can't figure out what your dream means. But what's he say right after that? It's God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph takes no credit. He says, I, I cannot interpret this dream for you. And I think Joseph's answer to this is absolutely staggering. Like, I just can't get over what would possess Joseph to say something like that. Just think back over his life again. Betrayed by his own people, by his own family, sold into slavery, seduced by his boss's wife, wrongfully accused for what he's done, thrown in prison and forgotten and left for dead by the only person who could plead his case. And yet, here's what Joseph is saying implicitly that when he's talking to Pharaoh. He says, I can't interpret your dream. God can. You know what that means? Joseph believes that God is with him. It's, there's no question in his mind that God is with him. He doesn't even say God might be able to interpret your dream. He says God is going to give you the answer to your dream. He has an extreme confidence that God has been with him. And it's crazy to me because these the people that go through the hardest things in life, it's Joseph is not the person we would expect to answer like this. We would never think, oh, we would think he'd be sneaky, maybe harsh with his words, maybe insecure, maybe untrusting, maybe he lashes out. But, but someone who's calm and confident standing before Pharaoh, knowing that God is with him, that's not what we would expect from Joseph. And I, his faith is just incredible to me. And maybe it gives us a window into what Joseph was up to in those two years where he was sitting in prison. Maybe it shows us the kind of character Joseph had, that he was holding on to that stubborn hope. That he was leaning into the strength of God, trusting that God was with him through it all. That even though he couldn't see what God was doing, God was working in the midst of what he was going through. It just, his response staggers me. I'm like, I would never answer like that. But so what do, what do Pharaoh's dreams mean? So Joseph goes on to interpret them. And skip down to verse 25. This is what Joseph says. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind are seven years of famine. Verse 28, it's just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Twice he said, hey, this dream isn't just random. It's God working. God gave you this dream. He's trying to tell you what he's going to do. Verse 29, seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place. And all the abundance of the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. Verse 31, the abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it. For the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. Verse 33, so now 
let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming under Pharaoh's authority. Store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped out by famine. So let's just put it all together. So here Joseph stands before Pharaoh. He says, hey, man, I can't interpret your dream. dream. God's going to interpret this for you. I trust that he's with me. And here's what you need to know. God is trying to let you know here's what's about to happen. He's, he's, he's given you this dream. It's from God. It's very purposeful in the fact that it came to you at this time in this specific place. And God has me standing here right now to tell you what it means. Here's what it means. Seven years of booming business and success are about to take place in Egypt. And right after that, seven years of terrible famine, starvation, the land is not going to pr- produce crops. That's going to take place. And he says that Like, when there's no food in the land, it's going to be so severe that people think they don't even remember the good years. Like, it's funny how pain kind of causes you to forget the good times. Well, he says, that's what it's going to be like. And then Joseph goes on a little further, and he offers him some extra wisdom. Pharaoh didn't even ask for this. But he says, here's what you need to do. Just, Just gather up a fifth of the harvest, gather up a fifth of it, store it up in the cities around, and then when the famine comes, people will be able to buy food from you. It's actually just, it's incredible. Like, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's a really good strategy for what's about to take place. Look at what Pharaoh says to him in verse 37. After hearing all that, the, pro- the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants, and he said to them, can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him. Now, again, the way that Pharaoh responds to Joseph's advice is just kind of shocking to me. Pharaoh is the king of a land that doesn't worship the same God as Joseph and his family. He's not a God-fearer, and yet he looks at this guy named Joseph who's been sitting in prison for all these years, gone through all this terrible stuff, and he's like, I don't know anyone like him. I've never met someone like this guy before who, despite all of his circumstances, despite everything that he's gone through, he says, I've never seen someone who's so full of God's spirit before. Just think about that. If you were in Joseph's shoes, is that how people would describe you? Like if you had gone through everything Joseph had gone through, would they say those same things about you. This is why I love what Pharaoh says to Joseph. Because Joseph, to me, serves as proof that no one has to be a product of their own circumstances. Like, none of us are a slave to the things that we've gone through in our lives. What's it for you? Maybe it's something that someone said to you when you were younger that wounded you deeply that you still carry around with you every single day. Whether it's someone saying, yeah, that you're not tall enough, that you aren't good enough, you aren't smart enough, 
You're not skinny enough. You're not popular enough. You're not talented enough. Maybe it's past abuse, neglect, trauma. Like what, what is it for you? What have you gone through in your life that threatens to take you down? That you feel like you're a slave to what's happened to you? Here's what it's been for me a lot of my life. I didn't hear the words I love you very much growing up. My parents hardly ever told me that they love me. And I didn't get a whole lot of physical affection either. And so at home, though I have parents that love Jesus, and this isn't to despair them, but that really hurt me. Because I never really felt like I had a place to go that I could just be safe and be myself and know that I was valued and worth something no matter what I did. And so what I did was I chose to run to relationships, to sex, because it felt like if, if I could get a girl to tell me that I was attractive, that she wanted me, well, then all of a sudden, finally, I had a safe place where I could go with my heart. Like, finally, then I was worth it to somebody else. And that led me to make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake in my life because I was being driven by something that I couldn't control. I was being driven by my circumstances. I was a product of the things that had happened to me. And it wasn't until I started to realize that everything that I had gone through, everything that I would experienced as a kid, think about the things that you've experienced. It wasn't until I started to realize that those things were actually sovereignly placed in my life by the hand of God and that he intended to use every single thing that I had been through for his glory, for his purposes, that he could turn the bad things in my life and turn them into good things. It wasn't until I realized that and began to submit to God in that way that I finally was able to break free from the slavery of the circumstances that I had gone through. And that's what Joseph does right here. He's proof to all of us. I bet there's people sitting here tonight who have had way worse things happen in their life than me. And what you gotta know is that those things weren't random. They serve a purpose. That God has placed everything in your life for a reason and he wants to use it for his glory and his purposes, but he also wants to use it for your good. He wants to use you in mighty ways so that when you have your Joseph moment standing in front of Pharaoh, you'll be ready to step into the place that God has for you. So what's it for you? Trust God with it. Know that he has that there for a reason. Look at how God uses Joseph's circumstances as we close tonight. Verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey, obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I'm placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him with fine linen garments and placed a gold chain around his neck. He had Joseph ride in the second chariot, and servants called out before him, Make way! 
So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. Verse 44, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and no one will be able to raise a hand or foot in the land of Egypt without your permission. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name zephanath Paneah and gave him a wife, Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest at On. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 13 years a slave, wrongfully accused, left for dead in prison. He goes from a prisoner in shabby clothing that no one knows about, that no one cares about, to now being paraded around in the streets, a celebrity by all, praised by people, and second in command over all of Egypt. That is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's go. Joseph's eaten. It's incredible. Is that not incredible? Can you imagine? Get, here's what's crazy to me. Guess who's now under his authority? Potiphar. Potiphar's wife. Crazy. Can't say it. Cupbearer. Jail warden. <laughs> There's nobody except for Pharaoh over Joseph. He's got food. He's got a house. He's got a wife. He's Eventually, you'll see in the story, he's got kids, two little cute little baby boys. <laughs> Things go exactly as Joseph had predicted. He trusted God. He trusted God, and now God has him in a place of authority. I want you to skip down to verse 55. Well, first, let me just tell you this. Everything goes like Joseph said it was going to go. Seven years come, he's in power. It says he, he just stopped, like, measuring how much grain he was gathering up because there was so much of it. Things were amazing in Egypt. But then the seven years of, a bu- of famine come. So now, verse 55, last couple of verses. We're almost there. When the whole land of Egypt was stricken with famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Pharaoh told all Egypt, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Now the famine had spread across the whole region, so Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was very severe in the land of Egypt. Every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, for the, fam- for the famine was severe in every land. Okay, so what's the takeaway? What are we supposed to gain from this passage tonight? I think there's a temptation for us to read this and to think, okay, all that I have to do is just believe this thing. That, yeah, life's going to be hard sometimes, but if I just hang on for long enough, if I just keep trusting, then eventually God's going to give me everything that I want and I'll be fine. Like, we could read that story. If, if this is where the story ends, that kind of makes sense, right? Joseph finally got what he deserved. He's been a good guy his whole life. He's had some bad things happen to him, but now God finally, he's, he was setting him up so he could give him something better. Better than what he had back in living with his brothers that hated him. But that's not the end of the story. Because there's still Genesis chapter 42. And there's about 50 some chapters in Genesis. So let me just steal the first two verses from next week's sermon to show you 
what's about to come Joseph's way. Genesis 42, verse 1 and 2 says this, When Jacob, that's Joseph's father, hasn't seen him for 13 years, who thinks Joseph's dead, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? (laughs) It's kind of harsh. It's like, all right, (laughs) sorry, dad. You idiots, what are you doing? Listen, he went on. I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will not, so that we will live and not die. Story's far from over. Guess who's going to Egypt? And guess who's about to meet the brother that they sent, sold into slavery and sent to Egypt, who they never wanted to see again? Joseph's about to experience the most painful thing he could ever experience. You might have thought it was bad what he went through before, but he's going to meet the, the guys who sold him into slavery face to face. So if the story isn't, just trust God, he'll make it better for you. Eventually everything will work out and it'll be happily ever after. Then what is the point of the story? I think the takeaway is this that we have to actually trust that in God's sovereignty, which is all over this passage, right? It's so clear. God is in control. He's the one interpreting dreams. He's the one giving dreams. And he's the one who's orchestrating all of this to happen so that in his perfect timing, things are going to work out. And, and how does God use Joseph in this story? Joseph, through his suffering becomes the savior of millions of lives. Joseph gets to save millions of people's lives. Like if Joseph doesn't show up, do you know how many people die of starvation in Egypt? Millions. The point isn't trust God, things will get better, it's going to be good. The point is trust God because God wants to use you in your life through whatever he allows you to go through, for something bigger than yourself. God wants to use you for something bigger, something larger that he's doing. He uses Joseph right here to save many lives, and God might want to use you to save someone's life by opening your mouth and telling them about the grace that you found in Jesus Christ. Like, He might use your suffering so that you could speak to someone else who's going through the same things. He might use your story of hard things that people said to you so that you could speak life into someone else's life. But you have to trust. If you don't hold on to the stubborn hope, if you're not willing to trust God in whatever it is that he's taking you through, whatever it is you might be in right now, you won't be ready when the time comes. You won't be ready to step into what God has for you. But we, what we have to understand is God is not simply concerned with giving us a good life. He's concerned with so much more. And honestly, I want to be a part of it. Like, this is so much cooler to me than having a super nice house and a boat someday. So will we trust God? Will we trust him? Will Joseph continue to trust him when he meets his brothers face to face? God's in control of everything. We should trust him with everything. But three minutes left, I just want to 
point out one more thing in this passage. This is what brings it home for me. It's that the story of Joseph has Jesus written all over it. Like I can't help but read the story of Joseph and think about Jesus. Just think with me for a second. Jesus was betrayed by his own people. Sold into slavery because he was accused of wrongs that he didn't do. He was hung on a cross for things that he didn't do. Killed and then left in a tomb and forgotten about by everybody for three whole days. But the story doesn't end there just like it didn't end for Joseph. God raised Jesus up to the highest place anyone could be. It says in the word that God has placed him over all things, over the whole universe, over angels and demons and this world. Everything submits to Jesus Christ now. And here's why God did that. Here's why it's so important that Jesus had to trust God in the midst of it. Why Jesus had to go through the suffering that he did. Because there's a famine in our land also. That famine is sin. And if we do not come to the person who himself holds the keys to life, if we don't submit ourselves to him, fall on our knees before him and say, Jesus, you have the life that I need. If you don't give it to me, I will die. If we don't do that, we will. We'll perish. Jesus, someone who was not shown mercy in his life, but suffered patiently so that God could use him in mighty ways on your behalf and on my behalf, now freely offers mercy to those who don't deserve it. Because if we were alive in Jesus' day, we would have done the same things that those people who hung him on the cross did. Because we've all rejected God in our hearts. We've all strayed from him through our sin. And we need life. We need Jesus, the bread of life, to come satisfy our hungry souls. That is what brings this story home for me. Because I can see my story in the midst of Joseph's story. I'm actually not Joseph in my eyes. I'm the Egyptian's. We're all the Egyptians. But God loves us so much that he would offer that to each of us, that he would offer that to you. It's, my, it's become my story. I love to tell it. I love to think about it because why would God be so good to me? I hope it becomes your story. Let's pray.